0: to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. Yeah. good evening ladies and gentlemen uh, you may not have known that you were getting a show tonight but you're getting a show tonight indeed um, we call ourselves the final word we make a cricket podcast I'm tipping that there are people in this
1: room who like cricket since yeah, a we're on a sports cr- people in cricket gear I can see oh, thank, you. thank you thank yes. you thank you thank you okay
0: and ah, there you go. I'm tipping that probably about 10 to 1 are people who have never heard of this show and maybe 1 to 10 are people who've come here to see it.
1: Look, what I will say is by the time they leave, they'll all be listening to this show. Bharat Sundarason over here. My name's Chef Lemon. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: So we're going to do a show. It's called Storytime. Because a lot of people like cricket, but they don't know much about cricket. Which means that I don't know why this table's reserved and there's no one sitting on it. I think you should just come and sit at it if you want. We've been digging right into the the depths of the cricketing world, all the way back to the beginning of it, to find some interesting things that we can tell you. And I don't know, uh, do you you feel, do you want to start things off? I think I will.
1: Yeah, why not? Okay, let's do this. So, the way we do
0: this show is that people send us in numbers but we have to figure out a cricket story that relates to the number. Uh, what was the number that you started with today?
1: Well, the number I have started with, and the number also does equate to money, so it's important yes. to say yeah. that as well. Yeah. It's, a, it's a subscription. It's a it voluntary a subscription. subscription.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm going to start with 7.. That's the
0: number I've got. So that's $7.80. That means the number is 780. You can take the decimal point out. You can interpret it any way you like. And if somebody said to you, 780, what does that mean in terms of cricket? You would probably say, I wouldn't have a fucking clue. Exactly. And then what we do is we go and find an answer to that question. And I don't know what his answers are and he doesn't know what my answers are. So... (laughs) Let's find out. Also, oh. if anybody wants to bring me a beer, that'd be great.
1: Oh, That'll be good. Sure yeah. just a pale ale. Thank yeah, you. Uh, yeah. We also start with we have no fucking clue when we see these numbers, but yes. then we dig in, dig deep, as yep. you do. Um, Seven four eighty takes us um, on a journey long, long. Back, Okay. long way back, back so to 1936. So we're talking
0: seven wickets for 80 runs here. Seven
1: wickets for 80 runs okay. 1936. I can't see anyone who was around in 1936, maybe a couple. So this is India playing England in a test match Okay, at the Oval. So this is when England still ruled India, so right. it was still British India.
0: And this is, this is India's first test match in England, isn't it? In uh, this is actually
1: the second tour of England. So okay. they play their first ever test match in, on English soil. In 1932, which is also their first test match, at right. Lord's, So yep. they were invited to Lourdes. Okay, And then England come back to India, play three test matches, uh, right. starting at the Bombay Gym, where we went, Jeff, uh, earlier this year. And so England invite them back. I mean, I don't know, even know, can you call it an invitation, considering like, they ruled India? Yeah,
0: they just told them to <laughs> yeah, rock pretty up. pretty much
1: ordered the yep. Indian team, or what was the Indian team, to come to England. It's lucky that there's no lingering mm-hmm. resentment.
0: From India towards England. It's lucky that they've just that oh, yeah, everybody's processed that and it's all fine. That's where I'm yeah. from.
1: Yeah, yeah, we love the English. So 1936. So it, this is the third of three Test matches. Yep. India had no money. India was in no position to have money. Now England and India play five Test match series. Back okay. then it was just three. And the last Test is at the Oval. England are one zero up. So technically India still have a chance of leveling the series. Okay.
0: A Jim Carrey style. You're saying there's a chance. There is yeah. a chance, yes,
1: <laughs> exactly. But it what well, is not obviously wasn't to be. England uh, pummelled them, as they had previously. But there were okay. some creditable performances, uh, I must say, from the Indians before we even get to 7 for 80, which belonged to Gubby Allen. Of course, everybody here knows Gubby Allen. Everybody
0: remembers Gubby Allen because he's the guy in Bodyline who wouldn't bowl Bodyline. So yeah. they had the two who did, and then he was like, no, no, I'm, I'm above this, I'm too good for this, and, and he just bowled normally, is that right?
1: That is correct, and the more I dug into Gabby Allen, I realised that, well, yeah, he was an interesting man to say the least, he had some interesting views on the world, and I don't think his heart was really in the right place when he said, I won't indulge in body line. So it wasn't one of those. Oh, that's not the right thing to do. Oh, um you know, we can't do that right. to Sir Don Bradman or Don Bradman. So he was faking it. He was faking it as, uh, or the reasons behind him not wanting to do it had nothing to do with the goodness of his heart. We'll come to it. Okay. We'll come to it. But so, yeah, I mean, just on 7480, those were his figures in the second innings okay. of, of uh, that Test match. So just a bit of a recap of what happened all those years ago. England bat first, they make 471 for eight. Wally Hammond makes a double hundred, as he used to for fun back then. Yep. India bowled out for 222 in the first innings. They follow on and they get to 312, Vijay merchant makes runs. And that's when Gabby Allen takes seven for 80. Now, what's significant about Gabby Allen taking seven for 80 is right. he was test captain. And to date, they're still the best bowling figures for an English test captain an English test captain? English test captain. Okay. I mean, it's obviously number 12th or something in the overall <laughs> list. But, uh, yeah, it is still the best figures for an English test captain, which okay. is quite remarkable considering they've had Ian Botham and Bob Willis and so many others who have led them. Tony Gregg. Tony Gregg as well, like, who did take a lot of wickets. But, yeah, 7 for 80, Gabby Allen. So, yeah, he knocks over India in the second innings, and then uh, England just have to make 64 runs, which they do... And win by nine wickets to win the series. Now that, a bit like today. A bit like today, yeah, exactly. Though, I mean, today they need, what, 25 runs and they did not lose a wicket. So that kind of, as it does often, sent me into a bit of a rabbit hole because I wanted to know more about Gabby Allen. The only thing I did know about him, as you said, Jeff, was the fact that he did not indulge in Bodyline, or he yep. said no to Douglas Johnson. He was the
0: conscientious objector of Bodyline.
1: Is what I thought as well. Yeah. And... Uh,
0: okay. Are you telling me that this is an illusion? <laughs> are, you, are you about to break this illusion?
1: I think so. I've done that for a lot of cricketers for you over the years.
0: Yeah. You've ruined a lot of things for
1: me. <laughs> I certainly have.
0: Especially Indian. Okay. So, so all right. So, we, are we we're going to Bodyline? We're going to... We
1: are going straight to Bodyline. 32-33. 32-33. Right. And in the 1960s, there was a book written about Gabby Allen. And... They featured a lot of letters that he wrote back home okay. during Bodyline, and, yep. and the whole book was about it. And get a few interesting things to say about uh, a huh. Douglas Jardine right it's just yeah.
0: like so when you get somebody's letters published 80 years later it's it's like getting the whatsapp getting the group chats leaked to a newspaper like it gives you a window into, it does, it does. into I people mean, that maybe their public persona didn't back up
1: but where do you think the author got the letters from it was from Gaby Allen himself right. so he wanted you know it's sure. not that he was trying to keep these things away right uh, the letters he'd written for 20 years Maybe prior that's what to the book. you
0: do late in life when you know you're about to die, you publish all the Whatsapps.
1: Uh, maybe he thought he was going Unless to die. Unless you're Boris Johnson, then, yeah, you're, then you can't correct. find yeah. And I think Gaby Allen and Boris Johnson... I, I, as I Had tell you more, you'll realise there are more uh, connections than you think there okay. are. Okay,
0: alright. This uh, is disappointing already. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, okay, just on Lawood and Bill Vose, um, yep. when he was asked... When they walked up to him one day, like this is after right. the series has started, and uh, they say, "Hey, like." You know why aren't you doing this? Yeah. Why aren't you like joining us in you know, knocking down Don Bradman and Bert Oldfield and knocking their heads off? Yep. And they ask him, "Oh, are you doing it because you want to be popular? Is that what it is? Like, is, do you want to be? Do you want to win over the Australians? You know, you're never going to do that." So about that, he writes back to his parents, uh, and he says, uh, "Well, when they say it is only because you're keen on your popularity, they being La Wood and Vos. Sure. And Gabby Allen apparently said, well, I burst and said a good deal about those. I mean, that said a big, good deal about those swollen-headed, gutless, uneducated minors. So there's a little bit of class warfare going yeah, on here. Is that, well, uh, just a little bit, just a, a little bit. Am yeah. I reading,
0: and I, I hesitate to put labels on things, am I reading into this that a wealthy Englishman thought that he was better than working-class Englishmen? <laughs> I find much. that hard to believe.
1: <laughs> and, and no, and that is not what the House of Lords is all about. Which is exactly why he was president of the MCC for longer than anyone else. Right. <laughs> exactly the kind of man they wanted Okay, and and, and, yeah I mean he would go on to say a lot of other things uh, throughout his illustrious career as MCC president but just on that and this I found really funny so he also wrote letters about or or letters about Douglas Jardine he he was a young man at that point don't don't forget Gabby Allen he wasn't as old as some of the others so one of the things. One thing he, I
0: never understood, just just quickly, his nickname's Gubby because his initials were G O B. Surely he should be Gobby Allen. He used which, to be Gobby, which is yeah. a much less pleasant nickname.
1: <laughs> it used to be Gobby in university mm. and then became oh, Gobby. I think I he see. turned. <laughs> well, we all went
0: through that phase, didn't we?
1: <laughs> I'm sure we did. So, okay, they were what gutless, uneducated miners. Yep. About Douglas Jardine, he said, uh, "Well." He's just a perfect swine, Douglas Jardine. A
0: perfect swine. That could be a compliment.
1: It could be. Could
0: be. A perfect swine. There is no pig better than this man.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he says Plum Warner, who was obviously the manager of the site, can't even uh, stand the sight of him. He hates him. And a lot of other unsavoury things. But the funny thing is, at the end of the tour... Which is funny because swine is savoury. Hmm. It is, yeah, right in a definition. way, correct, that's correct. But but the, the irony in all this is, Douglas Jardine clearly had no idea this is what he was writing back home to his own parents, right. because Douglas Jardine wrote a letter to Gabby Allen's parents at the end of the tour, in which he said... Gubby is truly a magnificent, magnificent example to the side, and was an excellent tourer in every way. It's Chris- it is crystal clear now as to who was the better man. Uh, this is what Douglas Jardine wrote to wow. Gubby Allen, spared, okay. unaware that Gubby Allen was completely smashing him. Mm. And- <laughs>
0: Yeah, but thats he's being too complimentary. That sounds like narcissist manipulation oh, to me. you think it is, yeah, yeah. I think that's what Jardine's up to. Well, yeah. Who, who in this room trusts Douglas Jardine?
1: Well, that's a good point. <laughs>
0: Not seeing a lot of hands going
1: <laughs> in. I trust the actor who played Douglas Jardine in Body he's a good Weaving. One. Yeah, he yeah. was good. I don't, you know, don't trust was...
0: him either. Agent Smith. You never know what he's up to. So,
1: and then Gubby Allen continued on to be uh, the guy. I mean, he was... Uh, one of the selectors who decided not to pick Basil D. Oliveira around that infamous tour of South Africa.
0: Oh, okay, that's Yeah, cool. because
1: okay. him, he and Arthur Gilligan, uh, former captain, and Peter May's, I uh, think, uncle-in-law, uh, they were part, part of the, I think, or Arthur Gilligan was part of the British fascist society.
0: Okay, that's that's a... Yeah that's a that's a cross rather than a tick. Yeah uh, you would think so.
1: Okay. Uh and um so he had a word with Gubby Allen because they were both members of the MCC and okay. there there was secret communication between the home secretary of Britain and the South African Prime Minister, who at that point obviously was pro-apartheid, <laughs> the
0: South African Prime Minister was pro-apartheid in the 1960s, you would think so. and
1: also kind of shot pro- was in touch with the English selectors as to who they can pick and who they can't pick. Right, okay, that okay. was the case. Right. Yeah, and and, and that was just one of the many examples of. Um, Gubby Allen and, uh, you know, his the, the the class system that he was very proud of. Not a fan of Fred Truman. Dropped him because he felt Fred Truman was too rough around bit, the edges. Bit too
0: working class. Yep, yeah. bit too working class. Was much like Lauer
1: and Voss, yeah. Okay. And, and the amazing thing is he still managed to maintain... It tells you a lot about England more than anything else, and English cricket, that he maintained that MCC president role well into the 1980s when he was 83, at which point he had not one, not two, but... Eight positions within the MCC, apart from being president himself. <laughs>
0: more positions than the Kama
1: Sutra. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I you just get to know more and more about Gabi Allen. And just two more stories about him because I've mentioned India. Uh, and I don't know how true this is. This is obviously Indian writers back in the day when they're trying to, sh- like, you know, okay. you know, f- pull one up uh, against the English. Apparently Tiger uh, Pataudi, Mansur Ali Khan Pataudi, captain India, famously. Yep. So apparently, he had just come back from his operation, he obviously had one eye, which was a tiger's eye, yes. that's why it's called Tiger, as we yep. all know, and apparently Gubby Allen was just, then MCC president looked at him and said, oh Prince, at what point after your accident did you think you can play cricket again? And then Pataudi being Pataudi, said, oh when I saw the makeup of the English attack, so <laughs> so well done, Nawab of Pataudi, well done indeed Now
0: there's royalty we can get behind, the Nawab of Pataudi <laughs>
1: While I'm on Gabby Allen I just uh, couldn't help but see the guy, going back to that match at the Oval, the guy who did do well for India, Mohammed Nassar, uh, who took five wickets. He took five wickets when India played England for the first time in their first ever test match. Took two wickets in his first over, in fact. uh, Percy Holmes and Wally Hammond knocked them out. And subsequently, whatever, for four, five, seven years later when he goes there, what would be his lastest, even though he was a young man, but soon after that World War II broke out, and then India and Pakistan were split up, so Mohammed Nisar was born in Lahore, What was erstwhile India, became Pakistan, where we visited two years ago, um, and he... Has gone. A lot of people feel he was the fastest bowler India ever produced I mean, before speed guns, of course. And right. uh, you know, everybody was talking up everyone back then. Sure. Uh, but the great Sir Don Bradman did say two fast bowlers he really regretted, or of the two fast bowlers he regretted never having faced on Australian conditions, Mohamed Nassar was one. So mm. that's, that's a pretty big compliment if you think about it. Yeah. So so yeah, in this game, he does take uh, a five-wicket haul in what would be his last spell in in test cricket. And soon after, or not soon after, 10 years later, India and Pakistan split. A- and it, it, I found it fascinating because there were so many cricketers who played for India early doors but who were born in what would become Pakistan who kind of got lost in the mix because neither India celebrates them nor Pakistan celebrates them because in Pakistan well you didn't technically play for Pakistan you played for India yep. and for India you're like well you're not in yeah, India actually, you're Pakistanis, in Pakistan yeah. and unfortunately Muhammad Nesha one of Probably early, the early greats of Indian cricket gets lost in that fashion.
0: Right, and Gubby Allen is pleased about it because <laughs> i you know, sure he is. <laughs> wasn't quite the right stuff. <laughs> who knew? Who knew that rich English toffs had objectionable politics? Yeah. I, I, for one, am very surprised. Right, I've got a number for you. I've got a story that starts with the South Australian great. The number is six dollars fifty-four. The pledger is Alex MacDonald. and so six five four. I'm looking for something to do with this, and I wanted to start with uh, with Clary Grimmett. Now, this number is not really about Clary Grimmett, but it starts with Clary Grimmett. And this is very South Australian, right? Because the one thing better than a hometown hero is somebody who arrives in your hometown and then adopts it. Like, Thank you. Clary Grimmett is born in New Zealand. He looks around at Dunedin and he says, well, this is shit. Uh, He moves to Sydney. He says, well, this sucks. He moves to Melbourne. He goes, not not here. He moves to Adelaide and says, yes, this is for me. And he lives out the rest of his life in Adelaide. Plays a lot for South Australia in the Sheffield Shield. Spends the rest of his life here. He has a a little house down in Furl.
1: Do you know where Furl is? You know the beauty of Clary Grimmett? Not only do I know where Furl is, there is a a shrine to Clary Grimmett. Is there? It's right outside the Indian store in Furl. Which is kind of random. Like. uh, so they, you have a lot of these Indian people buying their dal and their Indian spices and walking past and parking right next to the Clary Grimmett Shrine.
0: The Clary Grimmett Shrine. So he he has a practice pitch built in his yard at Furl so he can bowl all day. Um, and I guess when he leaves, then he's unfurled. Maybe that's how it works. <laughs> um, but he eventually moves to Kensington Park and he, he dies as an old man in, in Kensington Park. Still the highest Sheffield Shield wicket taker of all time with 513 wickets the great leg spinner, who debuted before World War I and ended up playing deep into the 1930s, into the 1940s even. And he bowled like loopy, old-fashioned leg spin. And those kind of bowlers tended to dominate on bad wickets and they tended to go fat fucking heaps on good wickets. But he could bowl for such a long time that he'd still take bags. And that was kind of how leg spin works. So his last Shield match is indicative. 11 for 229 in the match. <laughs> He's like, I'll just keep bowling all day, and eventually I'll get him out. Um, they will have made a few, and and that links him to another bowler of the same type, whose name is Titch Freeman. And if you've if you've heard the show before, you might have heard about Titch Freeman before. He's like five foot two. He's English. He plays for Kent, and he bowls the same kind of stuff, loopy leg spin. And and he he takes so many of these kind of big bags for big runs that it gets called a titch. You do a titch if you take like six for 150. That's a titch, right? And and He debuts in 1914. Clary debuts in 1912. They're kind of similar. Titch Freeman at one point takes 304 wickets in a season, in one first-class season in England, where admittedly they play a million matches. But you might have heard about this on the show before. Seven other seasons he takes over 200 wickets in the season and and gets that sort of analysis named after him. But he doesn't get a lot of love as a Test player. So he plays 592 first-class matches, 12 of them for England doesn't get a lot of a run in test cricket. And I know this is crazy. I know this will come as a surprise, but maybe it has something to do with the fact that he's a professional, so he's a working-class cricketer. And the Toffs who are running it keep picking these amateur leg spinners who have taken, like, five wickets here or there, and they go, oh, yeah, get them in the team, instead of the guy who's doing it year after year. But there you go. his test debut comes in this country, in Sydney, in 1924. And he plays another test in early 1925. He, uh, he goes and plays a match in Western Australia, it takes nine wickets in the match, nobody turns up to watch. Uh, he
1: takes three. <laughs> 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 yeah, but they still complain. They, uh, they, was, he, was he picked ahead of someone? Well, or it wasn't like... the school holidays. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. wasn't the school holidays. Yeah. So,
0: how could they go? He takes three wickets against the Victorians, five against Queensland. In the last fixture before his test debut, he's playing against an Australian 11. And this is a very stacked team. If you are a, an aficionado of 1920s Australian cricket, you'd recognise some names like Bill Ponsford. Um, Arthur Richardson, Stork Hendry, uh, Percy Hornibrook, Clary Grimmett's playing in this team. This is what brings them together. It is a flat fucking pitch, this one. So Freeman takes six wickets, and this might be the ultimate titch analysis here. He gets a bloke out for 50, a bloke for 68, one for 54... Another for 114, and then he gets two of the (laughs) tail-enders, including Clary Grimmett for a duck, which brings them together. Bill Ponsford's there and makes 81. Uh, A fella called Fred Tafe makes 86, not out. So they make 526. They're bowling eight ball overs, 157 eight ball overs. So it's 210 overs in modern speak. And Titch has bowled 53 of these, so he's bowled a 71-over spell in this innings in modern terminology. Six for 160, the analysis. A perfect titch. And then the MCC team, they make big runs as well. They make 421, face more than 100 overs. And Clary gets even more titch figures than titch. He takes four for 176. So it's it's, it's leg spinner time, right? And this is where things get interesting. The Australian 11, they're leading by 105. They've it's it's the last day. There's about 50 overs left to go. There's no time for a result, so they're basically having a net, and they're captained by the, the MCC team's captained by J W H T Douglas, whose oh, whose who's nickname became Johnny won't hit today Douglas, because he loved to block. But he's captaining the bowling side. He opens the bowling with himself. He bowls his left-arm orthodox spinner for a bit. He bowls his league spinners for a few overs. His other opening bowler gets a bowl. They all bowl five (laughs) overs, maybe seven. And then he says, fuck this for a game of soldiers. He brings on his number four for a few overs. Then he brings on the first drop. You might have heard of him. Herbert Sutcliffe made a few runs. Didn't take a lot of wickets. He played 754 first-class matches and took 14 wickets. That's how good a bowler Herb Sutcliffe was. I and mean, then Patsy Hendren gets a bowl, and Andy Sandham gets a bowl, who made the first Test triple-hundred. None of them are bowlers. Very, very little first-class bowling in their careers. And then Percy Chapman, who almost never bowled. And finally, right at the end, the captain turns to the wicket-keeper, and he says, These guys are taking the piss. Get your gloves off. You're sending down an over. So Herbert Strudwick is the wicket-keeper. He's known as Birch to everybody. He is the greatest wicket-keeper in the world at one point. He takes nearly 1,500 first-class dismissals. It's a world record. 674 first-class games in which he bowls 138 deliveries. So he doesn't bowl. It's not a thing. It's only a thing in a situation like this, right? Across a 25-year career, he's bowled, like, 15 overs. He has a go here. And he's bowling to a guy called Ron Oxenham. And Ron Oxenham is, by my estimation, not very good. Um, (laughs) Uh He's okay. He's described as the best all-rounder Queensland has ever produced, which is an indictment.
1: Oh, we know who the best all-rounder Queensland has ever produced. He's he's on the television behind us. Michael Nisa was this sometime (laughs) (laughs) back. Hashtag Nisa must play, of course.
0: Well, I think this assessment was made pre-Michael Nisa and probably (laughs) pre-Andrew Simons as well. Anyway, 14 test wickets at 37 and 151 runs at 15. Doesn't really suggest best all-rounder Queensland's ever produced. Decent first-class record. Took his wickets at 18, made his runs at 25. It's OK. But he's facing the wicketkeeper, bowling an eight ball over, and Strudwick getting on to bowl. He needs someone to take the gloves. And who is the ultimate professional to the point that he's maligned for it? Titch Freeman, the leg spinner, says, Give me the gloves, I'll do it. So he gets in behind the stumps. And I mentioned that Titch Freeman got a guy out in the first innings for 54. He did. It was Ron Oxenham. So he's got some runs behind him, Ron. He's feeling good. He's facing the keeper. Second dig. Has to gallop down and have a giant mow at it. Misses the ball. Titch Freeman has the bails off in a flash. He's stumped. And this is unique in all first-class cricket for any player. In the first innings, the scorecard reads, Ron Oxenham, stumped, Strudwick, bowled, Freeman... Second innings, Ron Oxenham stumped Freeman, bowled Strudwick. The only player in history to be stumped and bowled by the same two players in an opposite order. It remains Freeman's only first class stumping in 592 games and Strudwick's only first-class wicket in 674 matches. The number we were sent was 654. That's the six wickets that Titch Freeman took and the 54 that Ron Oxenham made in the first innings of an extraordinary match against the Australian eleven. Well
1: done, well done.
0: Thank you. And thanks to Carol and one of our listeners who sent me a book that was really hard to find about Titch Freeman, where I was able to track down that story. Hi, I'm Brian Roddell. You're listening to the Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. You've got uh, you've got another number. Yes, I Can't do. I it is.
1: I just realised I haven't still fully revealed how big an asshole Gaby Allen was. So I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not done yet. Yeah. Right. So he also in 1955, when you know cricket was trying to grow. Yep. And you know, you know, white people were playing cricket, so they thought like we'll go find countries elsewhere. Sure. So they said Ceylon, which is not Sri Lanka yet. And Fiji should be added to the, what was not the ICC, but whatever right. the world Cricket was called. How's I, the
0: track at Nandy? <laughs> How's it played? Yeah, yeah. I wonder,
1: yeah. Maybe that's what Gabby Allen was wondering as well, mm. because I said, no, no, we can't. We already have India and Pakistan. We can't like add Ceylon and Fiji. And uh, so, the, the, yeah, and also Gabby Allen, well, I won't repeat what he said. But on his, one of his many trips to Australia, he was taken on a road trip on the Nullarbor Plain. And yep. yeah, and he saw some indigenous people on the road. And again, like I said, I won't repeat what he said. Maybe I don't think I should. It wasn't very nice. Okay. Yeah.
0: So what you're saying is Gabby Allen was a massive racist, which is really weird for someone who is friends with people who are part of the British fascist That is society. correct, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So basically,
1: I'm just trying to prove that when people celebrate him as being a bodyline hero, oh, you know what? Stuck to his principles. Yeah, and stuck to his. His
0: principles were white
1: supremacy. Uh, Pretty much. And I don't want to do what the miners were doing. Yeah, that's exactly what it said. Working
0: people are bad. Brown people are bad. Yeah. Okay. That's a a very audacious political platform. He really, really put himself out there. But
1: but I also found this when. I know Nisa always gets stitched up. That's just the uh, he does. He does, mate. Are, are you a follower of the hashtag Nisa Must Play campaign? Thanks, brother. Thanks. There you go. Love you, brother. Yeah. So just on coming
0: Alex. So this, I thought this, for a second you said the most underage cricket in Australia. <laughs> like he's pretty old. He's got quite a beard.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yes. Underrated indeed. Yeah. yeah. And he will play again. Trust me. I mean, I, I, I love Pat Cummins and all that, but he misses the Adelaide test generally. He should have, and I asked him to, but he did not. Like, yeah. Uh, so, okay. One but day they, they're at the Oval. So this is in the 1960s. We're we Gabi- still on Gaby Allen. here? Yeah, people don't know how you this okay. is this fun story. You can, this isn't how the show works. You can't just
0: keep doing the past story when you're supposed okay. to do the next. Story. You
1: know, I never follow the rules of the show, Jeff Lemon. This is a live show. Let's last last Gaby Allen okay. story. So uh, he, he's he's at the Oval and. Yep. Um, He sat there, uh, he's in his 60s now, MCC president, and he notices something at the other end of the ground, at the Vauxhall end. There's a big board which says, XS Insurance. Okay. And he's like, oh, what's that? And he asks a couple of uh, Surrey board members, sat around him, he's like, what in earth is that? And they turn to him and say, that Mr. Allen is... 500 fucking pounds because we are fucking broke. <laughs> so that apparently is the first time any kind of sponsorship okay. appeared on any English test ground. I right. just thought like that's uh, important enough. To... There we go. There you go. So uh, my second number is um, 4.47. And it came with a clue. Okay. It so, came with a clue. So it's $4.47. 4 dollars And the clue Four. is? It says... In AUD, although it doesn't relate to Australia in any way, my number relates to one half of the standout performance from the cricketing birth of a new nation. Right. I lived in this country as a young child from 2004 to 2008, and my memories of that time are of a country obsessed with the game, scores of children playing in the streets with tape balls and bats cut from banana trees. They've come a long way from the time my pledge pledge relates to, and one hopes they will go even further into the future. Okay. So, so let's s- just like leave 4.47 aside for now.
0: Yeah, we need a country with banana trees. Exactly. Where so people I, are playing cricket.
1: Absolutely. And which, in, which is not a test nation, obviously. And which has improved. Which has improved. Okay. So I went through every country which has improved in the last uh, 10 years. Which is not many of them. Uh, not many of them. And not a I lot said, of banana
0: trees in Afghanistan. Uh,
1: correct. Uh, and probably uh, illegal. And the country that stood out was Papua New Guinea. As it would, and uh, apparently bananas are used a lot in Papua New Guinea. They grow a right. lot of bananas. So, And Papua New Guinea, um, I've got ODI status, lost ODI status, got ODI status again. But I think they're right now uh, one of the leading associate countries. So I assumed it, it had to be Papua New Guinea. So right. what I did was I went back in time to a story I'd done on PNG from 2017 when Greg Campbell better known as Ricky Ponting's uncle uh, from Tasmania, played a handful of uh, tests and I think just over 10 ODIs for uh, Australia from Tasmania, Uh, was president of the Papua New Guinea Cricket Board for for quite a while. So I remember doing this interview with him and I mean, it was a classic interview where like, you know, someone from a big... Cricket Nation goes there And he done a lot for them His wife Become a mother To some of their players Uh, And even then Six years ago They had nothing They had no No contracts obviously But 80% of the cricketers Came from one town and everything everywhere else was poverty and they uh, literally had no kits, they, they had no shoes, everything was provided. Cricket Australia played a big role but so did Greg Campbell. Um, but while he was there, what really did stand out for me was they f- do play cricket now obviously on the highest level, we've seen them in World Cups, we saw them at the T20 World Cup last yep. year but they also play a- another kind of cricket it's called the Trobriand Cricket. It has to do with the Trobriand Islands, I think, which is just off PNG. And I think it's, it's a, uh, a, a kind of people. they call the Trobriand people. Okay. And so they were always at war back in the day. And as the British do, to solve war in countries that they colonize, they introduced cricket. So, they introduced cricket and they said, all right, we need to make sure that, or we, we think cricket will solve all wars. The tribes won't go to war with each other. Didn't work out like that for quite a while. But then, right. as Papua New Guinea became Papua New Guinea, they just adopted cricket as a form, it became a big cultural thing for them. But they also came up with their own rules. And the rules are brilliant. And they still play tro cricket all around Papua New Guinea. And it's, I want to get behind it. I want to play Troy cricket because the first rule of Tro cricket is the host always wins. Whatever happens, the host always wins.
0: Okay, so it's like playing test matches in Australia. Uh,
1: Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) Or in India, some would say. Correct. (laughs) No, and there are some... The World Cup final, now a best of seven series. (laughs) Oh, wait, is it India-Pakistan? Oh, we'll have an opening ceremony, even though this is the final. (laughs) Uh, And uh, so... So, like, like you do, like cricket was bland for them, like the kind of cricket that England introduced. I struggle
0: to see how that was the
1: case. <laughs> so they made it their own. So right. they added dances, they and added uh, chanting. So the way a game of Trobriand cricket starts is all the bats and balls are given to a holy man, who blesses the bats and the balls. <laughs> You're just looking for a job here. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think I can. I, I can. F- I think I can be a guru of uh, Brian cricket. Yeah, completely. <laughs> okay. And each wicket, and this is all part of the show. Okay. So each wicket, you don't, you, like, you can't just celebrate like your Bretley or Shoei Bakhtar sure it's a specific dance that you need to uh, that the opposition kind of uh, indulges in for each batter so they, um, they have
0: a, a specific a dance a
1: specific dance it can't be the right. same for like yeah. so,
0: so like the kind of the thing that they do now which is develop your bowling plans for each player you, you yeah, look, oh, out, you you look over ups, their tape uh, yeah, absolutely. you work out their strengths and we yeah we're going to go just outside off stump and we're going to do the, so you do that but it's working out a dance that would be appropriate for when they get properly
1: out properly choreographed okay. like so if say, Jeff, I'm playing against you, my people will choreograph a dance for to celebrate your wicket.
0: You'd be fucking stiff if they're not out.
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah. Because, no, no it's to a the good end point. of the innings,
0: we've had this great bit and here you are, red ink, you know.
1: But the beauty is like, you know, like you said, you want to get out because some of these dances can also have sexual and erotic innuendo themes. So, okay. well, right. that will tell a lot I think that says a lot about what they right. think of you, I guess. So, so you, get, you
0: get a gobby Allen on the way up. Yeah, the Pretty field. much
1: indeed, yeah. So bowling is always underarm. The visiting team, okay, the home team always wins, but the visiting visiting team always bats first. Mm. But that doesn't help because each over you swap. So one over I bat, one over you bat. Okay. But every so the umpire is always from the batting team. So the batting team has an umpire. And there's no fixed number of players per team so it can be 40, 50 players and each with their own dance. that's so. the overrate? <laughs> <laughs> Better than test cricket, I think. <laughs> uh, and, and, and yeah, and uh, and nobody. I mean, there's no trophy, there's okay. no Ashes urn. there's no Frank Voral trophy which comes apart. Instead, the home team just... Uh,
0: there is a Wank Farrell trophy.
1: Uh, that's correct. Mm. Uh, what they do is they just throw a big feast. So it's pretty much like every journalist game I ever played in Mumbai where we lost, but we got medals and we got a feast. So I, had, I think I have played a form of tro Brian Cricket and I think more than anything else... I know it has nothing to do with 4.47. Maybe, maybe that is the overrate. 4.47, maybe, I'm going to tell Josh, is the overrate okay. in Tro Brian cricket. I just made that up right there, but yeah, uh, because I have nothing for the number. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: is the most barret answer of all time. I've got 20 minutes of completely random bullshit. It's, hey, it's not on. relevant, but it is interesting.
1: I want to play but a cricket it? match where I get out and there's an erotic dance, yeah, like, you know, done totally. to celebrate my wickets. Totally. Why not? Does, here doesn't want that. I love that. There's the kind they play
0: in Samoa as well called Kitty, with, with the big clubs they like cut a club out of the palm trees and, and the ball's made of like a rubber twine that they bind up and they have a concrete slab for a pitch and everyone in the village fields. I've seen this play, everyone's a fielder. So you, you whack it over three rows of houses and somebody over there takes a catch and you're gone. Sorry, you're on your way. It's tremendous. Absolutely belt the shit oh, out of it. Uh, uh,
1: just the, and you can only hit a six okay. in throw Brian cricket. Yeah. The ball is lost. I mean, they'll search for the ball, right. and after 10, 15 minutes, if they can't find the ball, then, then the umpire signal six, yeah.
0: <laughs> Beautiful.
1: All right, I've got one
0: more. Uh, it's from Nick Dempsey. It's $5.19. Thank you, Glenn. And uh, 519 is the number, and this brings me back to uh, a story I've been interested in telling for quite some time. Let's go back to 1817. Oh, as you do. (laughs) Why not? To Oxfordshire, when a, uh, well, I was going to say a young man, but he's a baby at this point, a very, very young, putative man, a man, a cocoon man. Charles Absalon is born in 1817 in Oxfordshire. He dies in 1908 at the age of 90. Wow. He finishes his cricket career in 1897, having already turned 80 by the time he stops playing local cricket. He plays his first match at the age of 14, so he plays cricket at a fairly good level for 66 years. He is, he is thought to have played the most matches of cricket by anyone in history of all time, Charles Absalon, and he is an absolute freak. He is fit, he is never injured, and he just wants to play games of cricket. He begs matches from any club that will have him. He travels anywhere that a game is on. He He's known to play often two and sometimes three matches in the same day. If something wraps up early, he rocks up to the next club and says, need a spare? And gets a gig over there. His list of clubs played for is like longer than Dirk Nowitzki's.
1: Wait, wait. He sounds like Manas Labushev in 30 years from now. Pretty much. Yeah.
0: Pretty much. So he's a butcher by trade. So he does have a job. He does work. But he's prominent in in the campaign for employers in the 1860s to give Saturday afternoons off because he wants to play cricket on Saturday afternoons. So he becomes a union leader purely so he can play more cricket because he wants a half day on a Saturday and then he gets everyone at the Meatworks to join his cricket team and they all take a horse and cart down to the field and play on Saturday afternoons. This guy is keen. He is he is on the, the Spares WhatsApp chat and he is ready to go. So... And he plays local level, he plays clubs, he plays... Anyone will have him. He never goes pro, he never quite plays first-class cricket, but he plays some of the county-adjacent stuff like gentlemen of Middlesex or things like that, you know, youth teams. He, he's kind of around and about, but never, never quite decides to make it to the top level. Decent defensive kind of batter, very patient. He makes his first recorded century at the age of 16 for one of the local clubs, and he bowls lobs. So he bowls underarm fizzy stuff but not sort of shitty lobs he bowls like he bowls skillful lobs he does creepy things with the ball he can make it turn he can bowl a quick one he can make them jump and he takes wickets in absolute avalanches this bloke by just underarming it down to the other end he's he's a hero in so many ways and the great thing is we do not have any stats for the first half of his playing career because it just wasn't kept at that level at the time so there's about 35 years that we don't have And the only point where we start getting stats is for the last 30 seasons of his playing career. From 1868 to 1897, between the ages of 50 and 80, he makes over 26,000 runs and takes 8,500 wickets in less than half of his playing career. His most prolific season at the age of 55, he takes 519 wickets in the season. Our number was $5.19. Well done. The span from the age of 50 to the age of 80 includes 59 (laughs) hat-tricks. 59
1: (laughs) hat-tricks. Don't don't tell Adam Collins that, please.
0: (laughs) He wouldn't have seen any of them. Uh, (laughs) Now, there are 12 different seasons where he makes over 1,000 runs and takes over 200 wickets. In a game for a team called Wood Green in 1872, which is right next to where Adam lives, oh, that's actually. that's correct, actually. Yeah, the yeah. next tube stop down yeah. the line. Uh, in this game, uh, against a team of 20, so they're playing 20 per innings, he takes 18 wickets and catches the other two. <laughs> Uh, at one point he plays for a team called the United Master Butchers, not the Master Baiters, um, but the Master Butchers, against a team called Wollum Green. They have 20 players. Absalom, Charlie, takes the first nine wickets and his team bowls out the opposition for four. <laughs> 20 wickets for four. And at the age of 67, he carries his bat through an in innings and then takes eight wickets when they come on to bowl. <laughs> he, he is fucking ridiculous. At one stage, because he's quite good... He plays in this exhibition game and it's, he's playing in a 12 and they're playing against the three best cricketers in the country at the time. WG Grace, Walter Gilbert and Harry Charlwood are the three. And the rules are, because there's only three playing, you've got to hit boundaries, there's no you can't leave the wicket and you've got to hit in front of the wicket. The three, the three best players in the land, bowl out these 12 guys for a score of 15. 15. And then Charlie fucking wins it because he gets them all out for less than 15. (laughs) With his lobs. He gets WG Grace out with lobs. He is absolutely ridiculous. He does just about everything. At the age of 51, he plays the Aboriginal team that toured England in 1868. Twice. Because why not? He's Charlie Absalon. He does what he wants. So the, the team that toured, you know, who's, who's, we had the 150th anniversary recently and there's the Discovery Centre down at Harrow that tracks their story. He played against them for the uh, gentlemen of Middlesex and the gentlemen of Surrey. He was like, why not? I'll be a gentleman wherever I want. Sure, some people play for one county. I'll play for whatever I want. This is the best, my favourite bit of the Charlie Absalom story. In 1875 at the age of 58. 58 years old. He plays for the Middlesex Young Cricketers. <laughs> versus the Surrey Young Cricketers. In a match of 13 players aside, criminally, they do not let him bowl. He bats at 13. He's not out in both innings and takes three catches. <laughs> you can't keep him out of the game. And his final season, when he turns 80 halfway through the season, he's batting with a runner by this point and he's fielding at slip, and he's still catching them, and he's still bowling lobs. He still takes over 100 wickets in the season at 80 fucking years old.
1: <laughs>
0: he's the most can't-stop, won't-stop cricketer of all time. He is Charlie Absalon, and that is our number for 590.
1: Beautiful. I, I don't remember interviewing an um, 80-year-old cricketer, what, during the 2019 World Cup. Yep. Originally from Barbados, he still was playing club cricket then. Yeah but I think but he was not bowling lobs he was still no. running in and bowling yeah so well,
0: we we interviewed Enid at about six months ago in yeah, England, she right, was one yeah. of the great women's test yeah. players. She's, she's one of the five cricketers to take ten wickets and make a century in a test match. Did that in her last test too, just on the way As out. do. Yeah. See you later. <laughs> she was 80, 82, I think, yeah. and she's still playing. And she's bowling lobs. She's got permission from the MCC to oh, bowl underarm. Of course do. She can't get the arm <laughs> over the top anymore. But And she kept wicket the last time. She came down here a couple of years ago and was keeping in her early 80s. Why not?
1: You, you think people will talk You've about... You've got to stay active, she said. Yeah, I know. But do you think people will talk about the same way when we cover a test match and we're 83 years old? I wonder, oh, yeah.
0: Please, shoot me in the back of the head <laughs> if that is the case. So
1: we can shoot each other at that point.
0: We, we will. That's, we'll, we'll go out together it's, as as we would have wanted. I think that's it. I think that's story time. I think we've told... Have we not told some stories?
1: Yeah, I know. Oh, exactly, yeah. Thanks to Bharat Sindharsan for joining
0: us tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to the ARC for having us. Jordan, Anthony, setting everything up today. Oh, and, uh, absolutely, yeah. And thanks for taking an evening at the pub to listen to some idiots ramble on about some things that you may or may not have been interested no, in. Uh, you the... might have just got stuck here.
1: Yeah, you came in for a quiet uh, one envy...
0: and you're too polite to leave. we have
1: converted you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, You want to know more about Prime Cricket and Charlie Absalom. That's what we do.
0: Well, if you didn't know what we were on about, the final word is the show. Storytime is the sub-show of the show. And you can figure out the rest from there. There's, this was 166, episode 166. So there are there 165 previous episodes that are slightly less loud and slightly more <laughs> re- recorded in recording conditions that is than this one. Uh, that's it from us. Thanks for listening. Good night.
1: Thank you so much. Good night.